0: Today we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can open it and and go to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll have the verses on the screen behind me and you're welcome to use your phone app or uh, anything like that to to read the scriptures and we'll read this uh, in just a few moments. You'll find 1 Corinthians uh, in the New Testament of your Bible. And I'm excited to take a pause uh, from our King Jesus sermon series that we've been in for uh, quite some time now, and to uh, do something uh, a little different uh, over the month of August. But to get us started, I, I just have a, I have a question I want us to think about, uh, and that is, what do you think pops into the mind of the average unchurched person? So what I mean by unchurched is someone who just doesn't go to church, um, that's not uh, something that's normal for them. Or, or maybe they don't believe in God or, or whatever it is. What do you think pops into the mind of the average unchurched person when they think about church? What images do they see? What experiences would they expect if they went to a church? What would be their definition of this word Church. Now, for many people, um, they might conjure up memories of growing up in a very liturgical church or a ritualistic church, you know, going to worship or mass every week or maybe multiple times a week and, and uh, singing and following a liturgy and reciting creeds and taking the Eucharist and kneeling and standing and going to confession. That might be the images that, that pop up. Uh, Some people might think of a church that's really produced, and they've got great music and lights and video and all this stuff going on, and so they just kind of think of more of a a production. Um, Some might think of like the old country church, uh, where just a small little, you know, tight-knit group of people who worship together every uh, Sunday, regardless of what pops into their minds, I think I think it's safe to say that when most people think of church, they think of a place or an experience, right? After all, we've adopted this word church to name a particular place in our language. They might think of a building or, or a worship service of some kind. They, they think of what we're doing right now. Now, if we were to ask the same group of people Hey, what do you think of when you think of the word family? What would pop into their head? Well, for many people, when they think about family, they probably think about people that they love and and cherish. Maybe other people think about people that have really deeply hurt them. Maybe for most people, it's kind of a little bit of both. People they love and cherish and people that have really... Hurt them. But regardless, when, when anybody thinks of family, they think of people that they have this bond with, whether they want that bond or not. Right? Technically speaking, your family are the people that you have a biological bond with or maybe some sort of legal bond with. Right? For example, my son is forever my son. Because I am his biological father. My wife is his biological mother. That, that's never gonna change. But my daughter, who, who's adopted, she's also my family, right? I'm not her biological father. My wife is not her biological mother, but we are legally her parents. We have this bond with her that's never going to change. It's this bond that has nothing to do with our feelings for one another. It's, it's kind of outside of that, And so when we think about the Bible, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible doesn't speak of a church as a place or an experience, the Bible actually speaks of the church like it would a family. A group of people that the actual word for church, ecclesia in the New Testament means assembly or gathering, so a gathering of people that you have this irreversible bond with. And just like a family lives together in a house and spends time together, so a church regularly gathers to do what we're doing this morning, to, to worship. But the fact that we worship together on Sunday mornings doesn't make us a church any more than living in the same house with this group of people makes them your family. And this morning, I want to look into the Bible to, to show us what it means That being part of a church means that you are a part of a family. And if that's true, then there is so much more associated with being a part of a church than just doing what we're doing this morning, as important and critical as this is. And so here's what we're going to do. Through the month of August, we are going to be taking a break from our King Jesus Sermon Series, which we've been in for a while Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to spend time talking about what we believe God is calling us to do at Grace Hill Church as we enter into our third year of ministry. In just a month, we will turn two years old. We will enter our third year of ministry. And we think it's important to, to mark these anniversaries, these occasions, by being reminded of who we are as a church, and what we believe God has called us to do, and what does faithfulness look like for us as a church. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is what does it mean that we are family? And then next week, we're going to begin sharing with you what we believe God is asking us to focus on as a family over the next several weeks. And so if you're new to this church or this is the first time you're here, I'm really glad you're here. You're going to get a glimpse into who we want to be as a church. And so this morning I'd like us to learn from 1 Corinthians 12 about what it means that when you're a part of a church, you're a part of the family. And so we're going to start in verses 12 and 13, just these two verses to begin, because these verses are going to explain to us theologically how it is that when you come to Christ you become a part of the church whether you like it or not and therefore you have this irreversible bond with everyone who's a follower of Christ there's a theological spiritual reality to this that I want us to dig into to get started so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 and 13 look at the verses on the screen The apostle Paul, writing this letter, says this, for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And we were all given one spirit to drink. All right, so one of the primary metaphors the Bible uses to describe the church is that of a a body, a physical human body. Specifically, the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. And so in in our passage this morning, what, what Paul is saying here is that we were all baptized into this body. And so you're like, okay, it's a lot of energy going around here. I need, I'm going to need some explanation of what that means. So when, when Paul says this, I immediately think of Romans 6. Because in Romans 6, Paul explains what he means by being baptized into a body. Okay, so let's, let's look at that. Romans 6, verses 3 to 9. Hang with me for a second. Let's get our Bible study hats on, all right? Because we got to dig into this. All right, so, so look at it. If you have your Bible out, have Romans 6 out. Look at it on the screen behind me. Look what Paul says. I'm going to start in verse 3. Paul says this. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right, so all right, let's, let's figure that one out. What it means to become a follower of Jesus means that you recognize, you believe, I have sinned before God and I deserve his judgment. I, I agree with that sentiment. I, I need forgiveness, I need his grace, I need his mercy because I have sinned against him. So, so you believe that and you also believe that God is offering you this free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus who came to to take that judgment that we deserve and stand in our place on the cross. And so here in verse 3, here's what's happening. What it means to be baptized into the death of Jesus means that when Jesus died on the cross, we died on the cross. All right, baptism, uh, the the Greek word for that literally means to immerse, all right, to, to go all the way under the water. That's why when we do baptisms here, we, we get you all the way under. You're, you're completely wet from head to toe. Why? Because mean, when you are baptized into the death of Jesus, it means it's the symbolism of being lowered into the grave as Jesus was lowered into the grave. Your old self, your sin, all of that died on the cross and was, went into the grave with Jesus. You were baptized into his death. Look at verse 4. therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Okay, so when we baptize, thank the Lord, we don't keep you under the water, right? Right? That's not what the gospel is about, and the legal authorities would not appreciate that, right? We raised you out of the water. Why? Because when we raise you out of the water, it's like you are now being resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. Out of the grave with new life, you're forgiven by God. You've been given a new heart. You're redeemed. You're welcome into God's kingdom. That's what it means to be raised out of the grave as Jesus was raised out of the grave, Before we are under God's condemnation, but we are lowered into the grave with Jesus, brought out, cleansed of our sin, and now there is no condemnation for us. Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old self, sinful bodies, was united to Jesus on the cross, crucified, buried, But our new self, our redeemed bodies, are united to the resurrected Jesus as he comes out of the grave. And we'll live with him forever, just as he lives with God forever. In other words, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ means that we are united to Jesus. Jesus is righteous, so we are righteous. Righteous. Jesus will live forever in God's kingdom in heaven with him, so we will live forever in God's kingdom with him. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. Look at verses six to nine. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. All right, so think about it. If as individual Christians, we're united to Jesus, right? Old self crucified with him. We have this new self resurrected from the grave that's righteous. What that means is we're also united to one another, If we're united to Jesus, if we're all united to him, we're also united to one another, right? When I adopted my daughter, Christy, into my family, she didn't just become my daughter. She became my son's sister. She became my parents' granddaughter. She became my brother and sister's niece, right? So what this means is that when we come into the body of Christ, it's not that we just become a child of God. We become brothers and sisters with one another. We are literally spiritually united with one another because we are all now the body of Christ. This is what the Bible teaches us. And this is what we call the church. All of the people in all times, in all places who are united to Jesus. We are the church. We are one family. Don't always act like it, but we are. It's a spiritual reality that God recognizes. Has nothing to do with our feelings. Has everything to do with Christ has redeemed us into a family family. And this is why it is so important in verse 13 of our text where Paul points out that, hey, the labels that the world gives us, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, black, white, brown, Republican, Democrat, whatever you want to do, the labels that the world gives us has no bearing on our union and our participation with Christ and therefore one another, The body of Christ is not a family of people who have worldly commonalities. Absolutely nothing to do with it. We have one commonality. The one thing that binds us together is the fact that we have been saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus and we belong to him. We are brothers and sisters. We rejoice when anyone comes to faith in Christ because that means we have gained a brother and a sister. Church is a family, not a place, not an experience. We are the body of Christ. So I want you to see this because this isn't just like a cute analogy. It's a reality. And so here's what's going to happen as we continue in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's going to begin teaching on how we live this out on a local level within a local church, right? We're all big part of this big global church together, but we live this out in local churches, local families that we commit to. And so as we dig into the rest of this passage, what I wanna do is I wanna give us three things that family members do so that the body of Christ will thrive on the local level. And so as we dig into that, it's just worth mentioning this, just to make this loud and clear. There is no category in the Bible for being a Christian that does not go to, or is a part of, or is involved in a church. There's, just, there's no category of being a Christian without the church because of everything we just laid out. I'd be like my daughter saying, Alan is my daddy, but none of those other people are not my family. Just doesn't make sense. We were designed by God to thrive, to grow, to have joy in being a part of our family, the church. And so this is why all of what we are gonna learn about today has to do with how we engage with our family, our local family. We are part of this big global family, but we commit to and we live this out in our local family, our local church. So three things family members do so that this body will thrive. And we'll get these all from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So here's number one. First thing family members do is family members take ownership. This is number one. Family members take ownership. Let me read the rest of our passage. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We just read verses 12 to 13. I want to read verses 14 to 26. Big chunk. Let's read this together, though, to get this out of it. Paul says this. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. All right, so Paul is taking this analogy of us being like the body of Christ and he's just running with it, right? He's just, he's getting every, every bit of truth out of that analogy that he can. And if, you know, if you look at your own body, you have, you have many different parts with different functions. You know, we talked about eyes and ears and hands and feet and head. But all of these parts are connected into they benefit from, and they contribute to the same body. There is uniqueness and value to each part of the body, but there is unity in that we're all working together for the same body. And because of that, each part of the body has an ownership stake in the health of the body. It takes ownership. If one part suffers... We all suffer and compensate. If one part is honored or rejoices, we all rejoice and thrive together as a body. And so, what does it mean to take ownership of something? All right, imagine if uh, there was a local coffee shop that you love to go to every day on your way to work. You stop at this coffee shop, get your coffee. You love the staff. You love the environment. You love the people you saw in there. It was kind of your morning routine. And imagine one day the owner of this coffee shop comes up to you as a loyal customer and says, hey, you know we're not doing so well financially. I'm having a hard time running this place. I'm looking for people to invest, to, to kind of buy into this small business and, and help me get it back on track. And so as someone who loves this coffee shop, you, you buy in. Let's say you buy in 20% of this shop. And you become a part owner of this coffee shop that you love and been going to for years. Now, don't you think, after you wrote that check, the next time you stop by that coffee shop to grab your daily coffee, you're going to have a new set of eyes on as you walk in, right? Maybe this time you walk in the coffee shop and you see a piece of trash on the ground. And whereas earlier, you may have not even noticed it, but now you notice it. And you're gonna, you're gonna get down and pick it up, right? Because you're part owner. You want this place to succeed. And you don't want anything to maybe ruin the experience of any of the customers, right? If the, if the lighted sign outside the coffee shop has a flickering light, you know? Well, you're gonna, you're gonna figure out a way to get that fixed. Whereas earlier, you probably didn't care at all. Or, or maybe you got a cup of coffee and it wasn't that good. They didn't make it right this time. And, and normally, you would have just gone back and, talked to Brees and said, hey, can you remake this? And they would have, and it would have been fine. But but this time, you're gonna figure out why the coffee wasn't made right, and you're gonna try to prevent that from the future. Right, this is no longer your regular coffee spot on Sunday or whatever morning it is. This is your coffee shop, at least 20% of it, And you have an invested stake in its success. You are now taking ownership of that business. And and what it means to be a part of a church family is you take ownership in what God has called this church to do. Because we're all part of the body and we're equally members of it. We each individually have a, a vested stake in the success of our church. We, we all have a vested stake in the joy and the growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a vested stake in our mission to reach this town with the gospel. We, we all have a vested stake to ensure that we're faithfully preaching the word of God here and not veering from it. We all have a vested stake in making disciples and raising up the next generation. I could go on and on and on, but the only people who have a vested stake here are not just the pastors or the staff. It's all of us. We're, we're all part of this body, different functions, but we all have an equal ownership stake in it. And what this means to take ownership at Grace Church is that as a church family, we invest our time, we invest our talents and gifts and abilities, and we invest our money into the ministry of this church. You know, we don't don't give our money to the church out of religious duty or pressure or obligation. No, no, we give sacrificially and generously because as a member of the body of Christ, we take ownership of this church. We, We give of our time and we serve here in formal roles and different teams and things that gotta get done, but also informally as we care for one another, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. You know, so if I could just take a moment, I just wanna say this, if I could press here a little bit, maybe exhort. You know, there are so many of you here today who have been serving Grace Hill from the beginning. I mean, we're, our church is almost two years old from the beginning, faithfully, tirelessly for the last two years. You've taken ownership of this church. If you hear that, that someone's called out of our setup team and they're gonna be short on a, mo- on a Sunday morning, you show up. I've seen you guys do that. Some of y'all do that last Sunday, thank you. If you hear that, that we're short a teacher and we need someone to go teach our five-year-olds or our three and four-year-olds about the gospel, you jump in and you're willing to miss another service this month so that our kids can hear the gospel and the word of God taught to them. Man, you take ownership, you jump in. It's because you care. You, you care about the church. You care about your brothers and sisters here. And if I'm honest, I've also have heard some people, not Not a lot. I've heard some people say to me, personally, I shouldn't have to serve in kids. Sundays shouldn't take up that kind of time from me. I shouldn't have to show up at 7.15 and leave at 12.30. That's like half my Sunday, I shouldn't have to do that. And what worries me, it's not the busyness or unwillingness to serve or the time commitment we we all have different things going on. It, it's the unwillingness to take ownership, lack of considering everyone else here who gives of their time because they love you. And what I want you to hear this morning is, you are a valuable, irreplaceable part of this family. We need you. Our body cannot just keep walking down the street, and all of a sudden, our foot says, "I'm done." I'm gonna stop contributing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop helping the body walk. What's gonna happen? The rest of the body has to start compensating and limping along. And so the more people who take ownership jump in, the more this place thrives, the more this place hums, the better we are gonna be at making disciples, the better we're gonna be at caring for and serving one another, the better we're gonna be able to be at making sure we don't burn out as we do the ministry that God has called us to do. Family members, they take ownership. Number two, family members fulfill their ministry. Oh, there's so much potential here. Look at these verses again. We've already read them, but I want you to see them again. Verses 15 to 21, 1 Corinthians 12. You know, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, It is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Right, so we're all united together in one body. We take ownership of this body, but we all have individual ways that we contribute to the body. Paul says it this way in Romans 12. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So so here's what this means. God has specifically gifted each of you for a specific ministry in the church. And what I'm not talking about right now is serving on one of our teams. Maybe God has gifted you in specific ways that those teams need or to lead those teams or whatever, but I'm not just talking about serving. That's part of taking ownership. We jump in and serve one another. I'm talking about ministry, specific ways God has uniquely gifted you for ministry. You know, maybe God has gifted you with listening and asking really good questions. And you might have a ministry of sitting one-on-one with people in the church and drawing them out and letting them share with you what's going on in their struggles, and God has just gifted you to do that in a unique way, and that's a ministry that you need to fulfill here. You need to do. You need to let us help you get into doing that. Maybe God has gifted you with project management and administration, and and you have a ministry of helping us operate smoothly here so nothing hinders the ministry. Maybe God has gifted you with teaching, and you have a ministry of teaching God's word here, I don't know what it, it could be for you. Maybe God has gifted you with creative arts or music or design, or, and you can figure out ways to help us communicate God's word in creative ways, skillful ways that are pleasing to God. Each of you have something like this, a gift that you need to fulfill in the church. And every single one of them are of critical importance. There's not one that's better than the other. And our body cannot thrive unless we fulfill this ministry. The ministry of the church is not for the pastors. Biblically speaking, the ministry of the church is not for the pastors. Now, we're members of the church too, so of course we do lots of ministry as the pastors of the church, but look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4.12. He's talking about the job of pastors. He says, pastors, you know what they do? They equip the saints, that's all of us, followers of Jesus, for the work of ministry. Equip them for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What's this ministry for? For building up, Oh, there's our analogy, the body of Christ. You have a gift for the work of ministry here at Grace Hill, and the purpose of that gift is to build up this body. So what is that gift for you? What does it look like for you to fulfill your ministry here as a part of this family? Because listen, my job and Nick's job and our other elders' job is to equip you to fulfill that ministry to build up this body and the mission that God has given us. And number three. Number three is this, family members care for one another. Family members care for one another. Look at verses 25 and 26 of our text. Paul says, all of these things that we've just been reading so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for one another. That word concern, it, it, it's, uh, it, it literally means to have anxiety for one another, to be anxious, that we all are anxious with how one another is doing. The same concern, and care for one another. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When one part of your body is injured, every other part of your body compensates. So there's one thing when a part of our body refuses to do what it's designed to do, if our foot just quits on us, like willfully, that's one thing. It's another thing if we break the foot, one of us is injured. Life is hard. And we all struggle with different things, and there's gonna be times where some of us are just having a hard time and we don't have a lot to give in the church. And what do we need? We need our church family to come around us and compensate and care and love and heal us. When you break your foot, what happens? The rest of your body begins to take over, so you can keep walking, your immune system kicks in, inflammation starts to immobilize the wound, it starts to heal you up. That's what the body does. We we rush to care for one another. That's what a healthy body does. We don't just take ownership. We don't just fulfill our specific purpose in ministry. But we initiate care for one another. Care is something that each person in the church should receive and benefit from in the church. But here's one of the things, the biggest hindrances that I see in the church of people receiving proper care is the belief that the responsibility to provide care rests with only a few people like the pastors in the church and it doesn't rest in all of us. And we just read here in 1 Corinthians that when one member suffers, we all suffer. And so, yes, of course, the pastors are specifically equipped and, and trained and have time to give to to provide care in the church. And that is a main part of our job description is to shepherd the flock of God, 1 Peter 5. But caring for one another is also a responsibility we all carry. A healthy church is a church where everyone is empowered to and instinctually initiates care. Proactively. We see someone go down and we rush in to care and to heal and not wait reactively for someone to ask. And obviously, if our ministry philosophy as a church is just centered around the Sunday morning experience, it's not centered around being a family where each of us are known, this kind of care would be impossible. If we don't put effort towards being known by others and knowing others, how can we care for one another in this way? And so this is my little teaser for you to come back next week because over the next three weeks, I'm gonna be talking to us about what God is calling us to do as a family, So, this morning, I just wanted it to be crystal clear. We are a family. This is what it means to be a family. And so, for the next three weeks, I'm going to say, okay, God is telling us as a family to do these three things. And next week, we're going to talk about how God is calling us as a family to go deep into the gospel together, to no longer stay on the surface. But to be known, to know each other, and to help each other grow deeper in our belief, in our trust, in our joy, in the gospel. And one of the big ways that we do that is we learn how to care well for one another. And so next week, I'm excited to announce two specific ways that we're going to be focusing on that practically in the next year. So I hope you'll come to hear about that. But last Sunday, we had an all-church family meeting together last Sunday afternoon where we kicked off a month of prayer together as a church. And we asked everyone who calls this church their church home to take the month of August to ask God to show them how he wants all of us to contribute to this family over the next year. So we asked you to be praying about membership and, and giving and serving and all of those things. But above all of those things... We said we wanna ask God to give each of us a your joy is my joy attitude. We see this from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter two, where Paul says that what motivates him to serve the churches that he does so sacrificially and generously is that he literally finds his joy in the joy of his brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that that would be true of our church, that we would be a family and that each of us would find joy in our brothers and sisters being joyful. That we would take ownership of one another's joy. That's when a church truly begins to care for one another. So we take the ownership for one another. We take ownership for how one another's doing. It's literally a your joy is my joy attitude. And so if you missed that family meeting, if you're interested in what we said and the different things that we announced and the prayer focus for this month, uh, I really encourage you to watch it. We sent out the video this morning um, and if you didn't get that, sign up for our newsletter and we'll send it out again uh, this week as well if you'd like to see that. But Grace Hill, Jesus has purchased us with his blood. He has united us to himself and we are now family. We are stuck with one another. Nothing you can do about that. And so let's take this month of August and let's pray about what it means to be a part of this family so that we can grow in Christ and we can reach this town with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we prayed last week, we just wanna continue to pray this morning that, Lord, you would teach us, show us what it means to be a church family. And God, I pray is that we have this focus as we think about it, as we pray about the involvement that you're calling us into, that, Lord, we wouldn't just be about each other and one another, that we wouldn't just be about this church and our church experience and just looking on the inside, but Lord, you would show us that as a family, you give us a mission to go and make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that you have commanded. So God, here's my prayer for our church that you would knit us together as a tight family, that we would know each other, that we would be known, that we would care for one another, that we would take ownership of this church. But Lord, that's just not so we would just have a great internal church experience, Lord. That is so that we can fulfill the mission that you have given us to reach this town for Christ. Lead us into that, God, I pray. I just pray, Lord, that you would specifically speak to each and every one of us by your spirit this month through the month of August as we look to our third year of ministry. Convict our hearts and lead us to where you are asking us to serve in love and take ownership of this family. We love you, God. We ask these things in Christ's name.